Week 12, we are in Philippians chapter 2 tonight, looking at the identity of Jesus, uh, particularly here, the fact that Jesus is Lord. And we're going to try to unpack that a little bit better tonight. Uh, really marvelous and mysterious and complex section, uh, but one that hopefully has immense application uh, for us tonight. So my hope is just to kind of give a little further clarity to it. Hopefully you were able to study that uh, throughout the week in preparation for tonight. That gives you a little bit of a foundation for what we're going to talk about. So uh, I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to read from Philippians 2. And um, I'll read this passage and then we'll pray and jump into our time of study here this evening. So Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Paul writes this, he says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility... Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. You may be seated, and let's pray again. We'll ask for God's blessing as we study this tonight and jump into our time then. Uh, so, Father, as we come to you now, we do ask uh, for clarity uh, as we seek to unpack uh, this marvelous section uh, of scripture, one that is no doubt familiar to many of us, but still has plenty of complexities to it. Uh, I know that many of our students come in here tonight distracted by uh, concerns of school or friends or athletics or relationships, family, whatever it may be, and I, I, I don't want to ignore those things, but I do pray that tonight your word would be the voice that is the loudest for them to hear. Um, this is a passage that points us to the greatest need that we have in life, and that is to be in right relationship with you. So give us clarity of thoughts uh, over these next 20 minutes as we seek to unpack this, and give us clarity as we uh, discuss it tonight in our groups. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. So this is, as I mentioned before, really uh, a famous section in Scripture. It's one that has a lot of unique uh, and complex teaching to it as it relates to the person and work of Jesus. And we're going to do our best to 
uh, try to simplify some of those things tonight. Um, but hopefully in the time between last week and this week, you did have time to uh, study and do a little bit of prep on this, doing some of those observation questions there, there on the right side of your page. So real quick, just wanted to go through uh, a couple of those different things. Obviously, uh, this is not a section where Jesus is saying anything about himself, but there is a lot that is said about Jesus. So uh, just by show of hands, and we'll just go one at a time. What are some of the things we hear said about uh, Jesus in this passage? Okay, Bailey. He's in the form of God. Very good. Allison? He's, okay, Jesus is Lord. Very good. Yep. Yep, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Good. Excellent. Aggie? Sorry, what was that? Obedient. Yep, so he was obedient. Very good. Okay. Anybody on this side? This whole section is dominating you right now. Anybody want to throw their hat into the ring over here? Don't want to ignore you. Okay. Good. Yeah. He humbled himself. What? He humbled himself. He humbled himself. I threw my hat. Okay. Cool. Humbled himself. Excellent. Yes. Took the form of a servant. Excellent. Bailey. Born in a likeness of men. So there's a lot that's in this passage, right? There's a lot that is uh, talking about here about the person and work of Jesus. So uh, any of those words repeated? Any themes that we kind of see that reappear over and over again throughout this? Yeah. Interest. What's that? Interest. Interest. Yep. Interest. Very good. Yep. Love? Name. Name, yeah, very good. That was a good one towards the end, especially. Form, right? See, form used a lot. Uh, there's a different usage of... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, humility and humble. That was exactly what I was going to say next, right? Yeah. Death. Death, perfect. So, see a lot of those different things here. Now... We don't see, again, Jesus giving any direct commands in this passage because Jesus himself is just the subject. He's not the player um, in this. But we do see a lot of uh, non-Jesus commands, particularly in the first uh, four verses. I won't cover those necessarily. Those aren't going to be the main uh, point uh, of this. But we're going to look real quick at the why this information is given. So that very last question there. What do we see? Do we see any statements of purpose for why... Paul is giving us this information. Yeah. In verses 9 through 11, starts with therefore. Yeah, verses 9 through 11. And the reality is, verses 9 through 11 is that whole purpose section. So you begin in verse 9 with the therefore. So those are really good uh, indicators, those words. Whenever you see a therefore, it's giving you a reason. You ask the question, what is it there for? Right? So it's about to tell you that. And then not only that, but then in verse 10, you get a so that. A therefore followed by a so that gives you an indication that this is the main emphasis. Everything in this entire section is pointing to this kind of culminating thought at the very end. Uh, so that's going to lead us then to the main point. So. Uh, this is good for us as we're getting further into the year and you're learning to develop these skills because as you get to those so that, therefore, those purpose statements, those are the things you're looking for as you're formulating your main point. Um, that's not to say the information that comes before it isn't important. We'll talk about some of how that relates. 
But as you're formulating that main point uh, at the bottom of your page, you really want to look to those purpose statements to help with the formulation of that. So does anybody want to share kind of what your main points were that you came up with based on this passage? Oh, I like that one. Yes. As Lord Jesus deserves glory and power above all, which is really significant considering this is a passage that speaks a lot to humility. feels like those teens are kind of at odds, right? We're talking about humbled and humility and all of a sudden then you're like, well, it ends with somebody being exalted to the highest position. It feels contrary. So we'll talk about that a little bit more. Yeah. Excellent. That encompasses so much. I can't repeat all of it, but you have a lot of the key ideas that culminate there. What was the very last phrase that you had there, though? Uh, it's been exalted above all by God the Father. Yep. So we could even, yeah, it kind of comes down, especially to that last part, has been exalted by God the Father. So here's a couple of main points that I formulated, and here's the deal. Uh, you're, as you're trying to formulate main points, it's okay to come up with a couple different ones that communicate the idea maybe in a few different ways but still focus on the main uh, aspect. So a couple of ones that I formulated from this uh, based on what you said, and some of these are very similar to what uh, has been shared already, that as Lord Jesus is highly exalted and worthy of all praise, uh, or as Lord Jesus has been highly exalted for his humble sacrifice, right? So there you have kind of going off of Kayla, what you were just saying there, it, it kind of brings in the summary of all those things of Jesus and his coming to earth as a man, uh, but just in a, a condensed form, right? He's been highly exalted on behalf of or for his humble sacrifice. Or if we wanted to sum it up one more way, especially according to that very last sentence, we could put it this way, as Lord Jesus is worthy of our submission. Uh, that idea kind of comes from that point there that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Those are acts and those are symbols of submission. So all of those in some way capture this idea of our position and relationship to Jesus, especially Jesus as Lord. So let's Let's talk about that in this passage. And we're going to walk back through it uh, very quickly here this evening. There's so much. We could spend uh, four or five weeks talking about this, but we're going to try to hit the high points uh, to understand better what the main idea is that Paul is trying to communicate here. So if you want uh, to understand this section, it really is kind of broken down into three main parts. You might have noticed these, but there's three main sections Two verses 1 through 11. The first four verses uh, essentially go together. You probably notice that most of the commands or the exhortations in this passage come in verses 1 through 4. And that's specifically where Paul is writing to the church in Philippi. That's why this is the section in Philippians. These are the Philippian people. So he's writing to them. And this is what he is calling them to do. Uh, he is calling them in verses 3 and 4 to have these uh, attitudes and these uh, 
postures of humility towards one another, right? Verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition. Don't do things that are motivated by your own selfish desires. Uh, In humility, count others more significant than yourself. Uh, That's why we have a command like love your neighbor as yourself. The reality is you love yourself already. Now it's calling for you to love others more than you love yourself. That's a pretty high calling, isn't it? Verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interests, because guess what? You are pretty good at looking out for your own interests, aren't you? Most of your life is kind of protecting and living according to your own interests. But Paul here says to the Philippians, again, these are maybe some of the struggles that you're dealing with in that church. He's saying, don't look out for your own interests, but also look out for the interests of others. Get your eyes off of yourself and look also to the good of others. So this is actually a section, if you remember, for those of you who are at Winter Retreat, uh, Matt actually taught through this as well. So we're not going to go into the depth of that there because Matt did so already for us uh, in that regard. But that gives you a context here. So Paul is, is trying to encourage these people what it looks like to look out to the interests of others and to live in a humble, uh, with a humble mindset. Now, for them, just like us, sometimes we're like, well, what does that look like? Uh, can you give me an example of what that type of humble, sacrificial, looking out for the good of others looks like? And Paul says, I can do that for you. Because that's where verses 5 through 8 give us the humble example of Jesus. The humble example of Jesus, right? And so this is where we get a lot of that material that you guys were talking about at the beginning. These observations of what does it say about Jesus? And there is a lot that it says about Jesus here. And all this is describing Jesus and his humble example. And it begins in verse 5 where Paul is telling them, have this mind. And when you hear that, think about mindset. So he's calling them to have a mindset of humility and deferring to other people, looking out for their interests. So in verse 5, he says, Have this mindset among yourselves, which is yours, which is, that's significant. If you're a Christian, you have this ability, you have this access to this mindset because of your union of your faith with Jesus. Have this mindset, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Well, what does that mindset look like? What does that humble, sacrificial love look like? Verse 6, when describing Jesus, he says, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. You saw probably there this term for form is this idea of describing the, the nature or the essence of something. Uh, don't think necessarily that uh, Jesus is a, a separate being from God in the sense that he is uh, totally different, uh, just modeled after God. No, he is of the same form. He is of the same substance. He is of the same essence, and yet they are distinct, right? Uh, God the Father is not God the Son. God the Son is not God the Holy Spirit, and yet all three of them are still equally God. That's a 
mind-racking thing that we will never be able to fully comprehend. And to be honest with you, that's one of the encouragements to me that the Bible is true because it wasn't invented by men. This is something that comes from the mind of God himself. But notice what it says about Jesus. Even though he was in the form of God, even though he enjoyed the, uh, the status of, of, of the Godhead, he did not hold so tightly to that that he was not willing to surrender certain rights that came with that. That's why it said he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now, that is not in the sense of like, uh, by becoming a man that he was no longer equal with God or that he was less than God. We'll talk about that more in a moment here. But it's the idea that Jesus was willing to forsake the comforts, the, the rights, the privileges that come from God the Son in, uh, in heaven and to lower himself. And notice in verse 7, that lowering is described in verse 7 by emptying. He emptied himself by taking the form, again, there's that word form, of a servant being born in the likeness of men. So this speaks to what we just celebrated at Christmas time again, that the, what we call the incarnation, where Jesus comes to earth and he takes on flesh. Uh, we talked Sunday morning, if you were here uh, for a Sunday school lesson, we were talking about First John, talking about this unique nature of Jesus on earth, that he is both fully God, 100% God, and yet 100% man at the same time. A lot of people get hung up, though, on verse 7 when it says that he emptied himself. He emptied himself. That's kind of a, a weird phrase. And if we're not careful we can do some damage to the truth of this here because sometimes people think, well, that means he emptied that himself. That means he, he got rid of certain things that were uh, particular, particularly godlike about him, that he, he became less than God. But that would do damage to the truth about Jesus because the Bible says that he is fully God. So what does it mean that he emptied himself? Emptying is actually described or it is clarified by the second phrase. Emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, by becoming a man. Have you ever heard of the, uh, the phrase or the, the saying addition by subtraction? Anybody ever heard that phrase before? What, is, what does it mean? Someone want to unpack? What does that mean? Addition by subtraction. You want to take a step? Yeah. Build yourself up by taking away things that uh, tear you down. Okay. So building yourself up by removing things that tear yourself down. A lot of times when I've heard it, I've even heard it in like team settings, right? So maybe you have a, a player on a team who is just really bad for the morale of a team. And so you get rid of that player. And so then all of a sudden the team works better. We would call that maybe addition. In, in other words, it's built up by the removal of something else. Interesting thing here is in this passage, this is what we would call subtraction by addition. So it's the opposite. Not addition by subtraction, but subtraction, in other words, taking away by addition. 
by adding something to Jesus. Let me put it another way that you will certainly understand as it relates to Jesus. This is something that uh, Dr. Bruce Ware talked to us about a couple of years ago for those of you who were at Ascend Camp. And naturally, I know all of you remember everything from Ascend Camp from years past, so this will just be old news to you, I'm sure. But do you remember he ends the illustration of this? Uh, let's see. Who, who considers themselves to be a car person in here? Who considers, like, they love cars? Yeah, Tyler. What's, like, the nicest, like, nicest car you can think of? Like, what's, the, what's your dream car? <laughs> Combine those as best you can. I don't know, like a Mercedes S-Class. Ooh, Mercedes S-Class, all right. Think about a Mercedes S-Class. Take it out for a spin. Take it down by the Mackinac River. Take up all that mud and dirt and grime all over that thing. Bring it back home and you hardly recognize it anymore. Reality is, is that still a Mercedes S-Class? But it's now veiled to a certain degree by the, the grime, the dirt, the mud, the things that kind of conceal it from the truth of what it really is. But that doesn't change the fact that that's what it actually is, right? This is the same reality that is going on with Jesus when he takes on human flesh. He doesn't remove or take anything away that remains true to the fact that he is indeed God, but instead he is veiled by the dirt, the grime that is human flesh. He, he, he empties himself by taking on a form that is so different from his God nature, though he still is himself God. This is quite humbling for the very one who was involved in the creation of this world. You think about the, the, the nature of the lowering that Jesus went to in this regard. And if that's not enough, verse 8 says, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, if it was not just humbling enough for God the Son to come to earth and to take on human flesh, that's pretty humbling itself. To die at the hands of the very people that he helped create, but also to die in the most humble and humiliating of ways by death on a cross, which was in that culture the most humiliating way that you could be executed. Not just dying, experiencing death, but experiencing the most humiliating and humble of deaths. It's pretty profound when you think about it. Paul begins by calling the church to a level of humility that they are not currently experiencing. He calls them to look to the mind of Christ, which is the example of what uh, the extent of humility should look like. But that's not where the passage ends, is it? This is actually where the passage only goes up from here because that's where he ends in this final section as we talked about is kind of the, the main point of it all in verses 9 through 11. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. Uh, this is... 
This idea of highly exalted from the lowest of positions. Think about a catapult for a moment. How many of you have ever launched a catapult before? Ever ever see? uh, It was before my time. I was a little disappointed. But anybody ever been to the Morton the Pumpkin Festival when they've had like pumpkin catapults going? Anybody ever seen that before? Right? That's a that's a sight to see. But you understand the idea of a catapult is you to to maximize the height and the distance depends on the level of how far down and how far the or how strong the, the release is for it. When we think about this idea of Jesus being highly exalted, it shows us about him being brought to the absolute lowest of points, but then soaring to the highest of heights. God, because of Jesus and his humble sacrifice, exalts him and he bestows on him the name that is above every name. Now, the question for us then this evening is, what is the name that is above every name? Well, verse 10 makes us think that the name is Jesus. After all, it says in verse 10, so at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and Every tongue confess, and so naturally we think to ourselves, well, Jesus is the name, but Jesus is just a a, a human name. It it bears no real weight of significance. That's why in your footnotes there, it points you to Isaiah 42 and to Isaiah 45, where some of this very same language is described, and we remind ourselves that God does not give a name. There is no higher name that he would give his glory to than himself. And so the, the name that he is speaking to, especially as we connect it back to the Old Testament there, is none other than the name of God himself, or particularly the formal name of God, which is Yahweh. Whenever you see in your Bibles, the Lord all caps, that's exactly what that's referring to. Jesus is ascribed, he is connected to that name in a way that people now understand. Now, to be very clear, that's not as if he lacked the glory uh, that was his, especially that footnote notes there. Jesus is not being given a glory that he previously lacked, but rather God is allowing it to be displayed so that all might see and acknowledge this truth. So that when people look to Jesus and they see Jesus, they see the supreme Lord of this world. So that every knee would bow And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I mentioned it before, verse 10 there really points to the act of submission. If Jesus is Lord, what Jesus did by becoming a man, sacrificing himself, and being exalted by the Father, then that tells us the very reality that Jesus Christ is Lord. The word Lord is not just about the formal name of God, but it also speaks to position. For someone or something to be Lord means that it has power, glory, honor, and we would even say authority. 
And so the, the takeaway from this as you head into your groups tonight really revolves around with the question of what are you doing with Jesus? If Jesus is truly Lord, like this passage says, then how are you relating to him? And I think the, the cool thing about this passage you know, we can think about the fact that Jesus is Lord, which means that we should submit to him, we should honor him, we should obey him, which we should. But a lot of times we do so with the mentality that says, well, of course, because he's this big, powerful person. But don't do so at the expense of what you just read there in verses 5 to 8. Remember that this is the same Lord who also humbled himself, who loved you so much, love this world so much that he entered into the mess and the muck and the mire that is this sinful, broken world. To live a, a life for 30 plus years in total obedience to the Lord, in total love and compassion towards other sinners so that he could go to a cross and die and pay the penalty for your sins. When you think about that is the person who is Lord. Man, why would you not want to submit to that? This is not just a guy who has power and authority. But he's one who is good. And he is loving. And he is gracious. And yes, because of that, he is worthy of your life. Why would you not want a Savior, and a Lord who is as good as that. So I hope that that will provide some fruitful conversation tonight in your groups. I pray for you, and then you can be dismissed to your groups. Let's do that. Father, we just do just pray now. <clears throat> pray for your kindness for our time in small groups. Uh, help these students to process well and to mine the depths of, of this passage. There's so much here, but help them, Lord, to truly see uh, Jesus and the miraculous uh, the miraculous status he has as Lord and how we should and must relate to him Lord these are matters of eternal significance so give us uh, just great discussion tonight to better understand and better process where we relate to you so um, pray for our leaders, pray for our students now in Jesus' name. Amen.